Welcome back to Get to the Hook. I say welcome back because uh, we've been at this now for a few weeks. And if this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome uh, to the show. I am Charles Latibodier, executive producer of TMZ, and my friend here, Eric Eric Holly, who is uh, one of our... Eric, by the way, just to give you a little, uh, little history, Eric is one of the OGs. There are very few people in the building that I can look around and say have been here since the start of the TV show. Eric is one of them. Right, right. And, since, since, since we launched. Yes. The premiere. Uh, and, of, and for those who don't know, Eric is here because he is an absolute music savant, knows everything you could possibly know about the history of the Billboard charts, and I'm just a big music fan. Yeah, and we have good conversations. Indeed. So uh, we're going to do that now. And this week's topic uh, is about reggae on the Billboard charts because, as everyone knows, uh, One Love, Bob Marley, is now the number one film in America Huge success. Much Already made over 100 million worldwide and like over 70 in the U.S. I am thrilled about that. And the other thing about this topic that I love is I have a personal connection. My family being from Jamaica, I was born here in America, but I'm Jamaican-American, first generation, um, and have always obviously had a connection with reggae. I even have some close ties to Bob Marley, which we'll get into. Um, But uh, this has been interesting for me throughout my life to see where reggae music has come in America. And it does seem like it's gone through some hills and valleys. Yeah, there's, it, it comes and goes. There's times like it got a little gentrified. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the craziest thing is as popular as reggae is and always has been in this country, Bob Marley was never that commercially successful in the U.S. Which is shocking to me because if you've seen the movie, one of the things that comes out to me is how underrated Bob Marley is as a songwriter because the movie is littered with all of his... I call them with hits, and you hear the music and you watch him perform it, and it's... Well, it's tremendous. interesting you say that because his songwriting, as a songwriter, he wrote a number one hit, and he wrote another big top 20 hit. Right. As an artist, he never got higher than number 51 in America. Which is shocking to me, like I said, when you see all and hear all this music in the movie, that it didn't chart. But what is clear is that Bob Marley's international success opened the door for so many other artists to appreciate and then record their own reggae, which unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, they ended up charting, but I don't think any of them are doing it if it weren't for Bob Marley's success. Absolutely. Even in his, own, in his own family, his children and grandchildren have had more hits than he did, technically. Yeah. Um, but you know, to, to balance that, you always, I always say with charts, you've got to look at the whole picture. And one thing with Bob Marley, if you just look at his, his charting songs in America, one song in 1976, Roots Rock Reggae, not even one of his most famous that's, songs at all. Most would say, would call that a deep cut. Yeah, but, but that, that's the only one that that's was his been one on the chart hit. Where, but, how high did it get? Uh, 51. And his Rasta Man Vibration album at the same time hit number eight. So he did have a top 10 album. But the thing you have to look at is Whoa, where you need the wait, context. So wait, the, the Rasta Man Vibration album charted? It was a top 10 album, yeah. People were buying the album, just not the singles. And, you know, AM radio in the 70s was not playing Bob Marley. Right. Right. Uh, but Legend, his greatest hits album, it was released in 1984, three years after he died. Originally, it only peaked at 54 itself. But at this point, in 2014, 30 years after it came out, Legend got to number five on the Billboard charts. Because of the movie. Well, it was on sale. It was just on sale then, right. 10 years ago. Um, but Legend has... Oh, 10 years ago. It yeah, in 2014. Okay. But Legend has spent over 820 weeks on the Billboard album chart. It's the second longest running number one album, or, uh, charting album ever behind Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely going to pass it at some point. And... It's certified at 15 million copies. It's one of the best-selling albums in history. I have always said that you 
know someone has good musical taste. If you go, if I go into someone's house, this isn't as true now because we don't have CDs and records. Well, we do have around. records are back, vinyls back. But if I go into someone's music collection and they don't have Legend, I don't. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't. I can't mess with you. I, I don't. You gotta have that. I, like it just has to be there because every song is just. And everyone knows every song. So you do. They're, 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 they're so classic. That's the thing. He's one of those artists that some people are just bigger than charts. And he is definitely one of those people. Yeah. Um, reggae itself, it's interesting. I, so I, I did some, some learning on this. Okay. I was like, when and where exactly? I mean, obviously Jamaica, but how did reggae happen? Right. And so it was an offshoot of two other genres. Mm-hmm. So in the late 50s, uh, after, after World War II and then Korea, uh, a lot of military bases had, you know, the armed forces radio and stuff. And right. people in Jamaica were getting radios at this point and were picking up this music, mostly from America, mostly R&B, from New Orleans specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Fats Domino, Louis Jordan. And they loved these songs because New Orleans R&B then had this sort of offbeat thing to it. Right. And I mean that, like, literally, not quirky. Like, it was literally, like, on yeah. the, the twos and fours, there's <laughs> a little bit of an off rhythm. Right. And they loved it and developed their own version of it that was faster and punchier, and that became ska music. Ska became Rocksteady. Yep. And what I, fun fact, one of the uh, Rocksteady bands, the Paragons, do you know them? Yes. They had a song called The Tide Is High, which, which was not a hit, but in but 1981. guess who did make it a hit? Blondie, <laughs> white artist, took it to number one. Um, and then as, as ska and, and Rocksteady, artists started slowing it down a little bit, and it became... Reggae. Right. And I love, so I was looking, the first kind of reggae hit in the U.S., because you think, that's a weird thing to me, is that there aren't, I can't think of another genre of music where if you say it, there's one artist who comes to mind. Like right. if I say rap, rock, country, dance music, pop, whatever, you, you think of all kinds three, of things. Three to ten different artists. Right away. You say reggae, it's Bob Marley. Bob Marley. Right. It, he defines it so much. He did not create it. He was mm-hmm. there at the beginning, but it was around and having success before he did. So I want to play a little bit. This was a huge number two pop hit in 1964. Okay. And you might think I'm reaching I, a little bit saying reggae here, but it's early. Okay. And it's a Jamaican teenager. It was okay. an actual Jamaican artist. So this is uh, from I don't know who's coming. Here. Millie Small, My Boy Lollipop. Now, if you I know just, that song very well. If you well. just hear that, you don't automatically I know think that song reggae. Very well. my, right. my mother would play that song uh, all the time. Definitely know that song. And I, you're right. It doesn't come off the top of my head. I don't immediately think of it as reggae, but it definitely and, was. And, and she is Jamaican, and it was the first hit for Island Records, which was the premier reggae label at that time, which went on to have, like, U2 was signed to Island eventually in the right. 80s. Uh, so, but Island definitely built on the back of Bob Marley. Absolutely. And Chris Blackwell, the chairman of Island Records, would tell you that, too. Of course. And so... You have these these musical things happening in Jamaica, and My Boy Lollipop might have seemed like kind of a novelty record in 1964. Uh, but So there's a guy named Johnny Nash. Know him well. He had been a teen uh, R&B singer in the late 50s. His career had kind of cooled down by the mid-60s. So he moved to Jamaica to kind of get a fresh start. And he just fell in love with ska and Rocksteady and the, the new reggae music. And at a party, he met Bob Marley mm-hmm. and signed him. And Johnny Nash, so... In, he, doing all this reggae stuff in 1968 this is a, a cool song it's called Hold Me Tight this hit number 5 in the US and this is a straight wow. up reggae song so here's a little bit of Johnny Nash's Hold Me Tight and everything's gonna be alright baby hold me tight like all that 
offbeat rhythm is there. It's That's there. That's that rock steady right in there. Yeah. And then Johnny Nash uh-huh. in the 70s, of course, what people would probably know him for is the song I Can See Clearly Now, which is reggae adjacent. Right. It's not a straight reggae song. But the follow-up to that, that's why I'm getting to this, yeah. was Stir It Up, which was a song he had heard Bob Marley do. Right. And then he's like, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to release this song. So that was Bob Marley's first brush with success outside as of Jamaica. As a songwriter. Right, and as a songwriter. And he made a lot of money from that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the following year, in 74, before Bob Marley's even become a big thing outside of Jamaica or even in the UK yet, another artist plundered Bob, uh, Bob Marley's catalog. Uh, yes. Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. I Shot the Sheriff. Right. 1974. I Shot the Sheriff. So Bob Marley can't get hits as an artist, right? But and you know, and, but also to be fair, that was Bob Marley's only number one hit that Eric Clapton gave him. But it's also Eric Clapton's only number, only one, number hit one hit that Bob Marley gave him. So, <laughs> you know, who needed who more there, really? Honestly. Right, right. Um, yeah, as crazy as as reggae was starting to hit around the globe and Bob Marley was much bigger in the UK they embraced it a lot better than America did he never was that big of a pop star here and I don't think he yeah. ever really wanted to be he, if he'd yeah. wanted it he could have gotten it he could have toured harder in America right. done more appearances and as you see in One Love that wasn't that important to him no definitely wasn't the thing for him and and um, I, I gotta tell you though the thing you said about I, I gotta go back to this about Fats Domino which I did not know I knew I was gonna learn something about a genre I've, ra- I've been raised <laughs> on, and yet Eric was going to teach me something about it. I didn't realize the Fats Domino connection to the root, and now it makes sense. I went to see Fats Domino in Jamaica. Um, I was probably in my late teens and went with a bunch of family members, and I was I, floored by how excited everyone was in this. It was an outdoor show, and everyone loved it. It was one of his last shows, I think. Because oh. I think he died like the next year. Because he um, was big in America, but not. Yeah. He wasn't packing all, arenas in, in the States by that point. My mom was like, oh, we're going to see Fats Domino. And everyone was up and dancing the whole time. So I did not. So you just connected a dot for yeah, me. Yeah, I think, I think it was a, there was a kind of a, a modernization in Jamaica. Like people, there was just a, an influx of people getting radios and having access to this right. music. And that's what they heard, and they just loved it. So I imagine Fats Domino was this, I mean, he's a legend, period. Yeah. But uh, probably even more so there. If he helped inspire yeah. the, the, the national sound of Jamaica. Right. I, and, yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's so weird with Bob Marley. Is, it's not just that he was successful. But he's like, like mythological. Like, oh. His, his birthday is a national holiday in Jamaica. National holiday. There's, uh, there's, a, there's legislation that's been proposed now to make him uh, a national hero, um, which I can't. See how that doesn't doesn't pass. <laughs> like who's who's going to stand up <laughs> in Parliament and vote against that? I, yeah. I don't get it. So, um, so your your mom is from Jamaica. My mom and my dad both oh. uh, born and raised in Jamaica. So you remember here, but when Bob Marley died in eighty one, you were old enough to be aware of that. Was oh, yeah. that like that must have hit your parents so yeah. hard? Devastating, devastating. And actually, my parents were supposed to go and see him in concert. Uh, on the tour, which was for the Uprising album, I believe. And we were going to get tickets because I wasn't going. I was too young. But my father's cousin is Junior Marvin, mm-hmm. who is uh, was the guitarist for the Whalers at that point. Um, and so I always grew up knowing that, that my 
father had this cousin, my cousin, who yeah. uh, played in the band and always I felt like a connection to, like the one that really jumped out to me because I was old enough when the Uprising album came out and um, Could You Be Loved became- Such a good song. Such a, it's such a cliche thing to pick, but God, I love that but song. But the guitar riff on it, I was always like, oh yeah, that's my cousin Junior, man. That, that's so cool. That's so awesome. And there's a scene in the movie where they talk about when they brought Junior in to the, to the band for the Exodus album and they wanted him because he had a different sound and the whole thing was Bob wanted a different sound for the Exodus album than the previous uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers right. albums. And so when you watch that, you know, yeah. that's, that's my family. That's, that's my cousin, yeah. That is and so cool. It's, and in the movie, he's played by his son, Davo, who is also my cousin, obviously, and is a musician uh, who's you know, doing his own music now, not reggae, um, but he's doing his own music and having a lot of success as a songwriter too. So I mean, music's in the blood. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. I wonder if it almost hurt reggae a little bit as a genre. No, I mean it's been obviously very successful. It still is, but that Bob Marley was so dominant, and then when he died, did it sort of take the wind out of the sails to some extent? Maybe, maybe. But I, I think at that point, and maybe this is one of those things we see happen when someone. It's not until someone dies that uh, more people realize the, the impact of their art. Um, and I feel like maybe that happened. I mean, because internationally, I think Bob had already at that point made his mark. Um, and then because of that, all these other artists start doing reggae, which then does start charting in America. Well, and, that's... and that was interesting to me as a kid growing up to suddenly, the first, like, I, and I could be wrong, but the first time I remember hearing a song on the radio that was like, I was like, wait, that's reggae. I think it was The Police. Probably Roxanne in 79? It wasn't Roxanne, it was, but it was... Um, or, uh, or maybe it was Roxanne. Don't Stand So Close to Me had a little bit. Yeah, or, maybe it was Don't Stand So Close to Me. Stevie but, Wonder's Master Blaster Jammin' was a little that reggae That was changed. true. But yeah, like the, the, um, the Police, and then shortly after The Police would be Men at Work. Right. And I was like, wow, these guys are doing reggae. Right. Um, which was really cool to hear, and it was actually charting. Yeah, number one, and and there you had actual, like, non-white artists in '83 actually had some hits. Uh, Eddie Grant, the song "Electric Avenue." Yep, he was a, an African artist who was raised in London. And Musical Youth, remember them? That Pass was the now, that was the first that one stood out to me because that was the one where I was like, okay, now some black artists are actually doing reggae and having success here. So I, I thought that was just yeah. <laughs> it was amazing in my in my family to hear that on the radio. Right. Um, was really exciting. A fun story about that song is that it's actually the original song as written was, I think it was called Pass the Coochie, and it was about yes. a joint. Right. But because they were preteen children, they're like, we cannot have kids singing this. <laughs> even even for reggae, that's that's too right. much. So they changed right. to Duchy, which is a cooking pot. Right. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, you know, with Rastafarianism and stuff, it's a religion. Like, yeah. And, and I think the, the, you know, mixing of Bob Marley and Rastafarianism and reggae it's almost like religious music in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, not oh, it's literally, become that. but yeah. It's become that now because obviously when Bob started making music, he actually wasn't a Rastafari, but, uh, it, and they cover that in the movie, how he came to it and everything. Right. But, um, yeah, they are definitely intertwined now. They're kind of the same thing. I, although I don't know, I haven't been to, uh, um, I haven't been to a, a Rastafari, ceremony or anything to uh, to listen to someone uh preaching i don't know if they sing bob songs i 
Uh, but you could. But it's, there's it's, a whole. It's not insane whole other to think thing they would. They do, which Bob worked. It's called Nyabingi, mm-hmm. and Bob has worked that into several of his songs also. So you hear the drumming that goes into those uh, into those ceremonies, and he worked it in. I always wonder. He's he's one of those people that you know. Obviously, was very young when he died. He was 36. Uh, also, sad. I didn't know until I was looking this up, and it's not even in the movie that he had his cancer and he was in the UK at that point. And knew he was dying, I think, and wanted to come back to be in Jamaica. Yeah. And he died on the plane and was pronounced dead in Florida. Didn't even make it back home. Which yeah. I was like, that's just not fair. Yeah. That's not right. Was going back to the country that, yeah. Right. But do you think, had he lived, uh, he's one of those people I think would be so fascinating to see what the rest of his life would have been you know, like. Where he, he, he could still be alive. Yeah. He'd be in his, what, late 70s now? Or could be alive. 80? And I w- would definitely still want to be recording music. Um, what, how is sound might have changed what he would have tried you know experimented with and then also to have the opportunity to record with his children and even as we say grandchildren um who did find success um i thought you know at a stage i think i was in my early 20s when ziggy marley suddenly was being played on the yeah. radio i was like tomorrow people so 1988 cool. got to number is a top 40 hit something yeah. his dad never did uh Skip Marley had a top five hit with Katy Perry in 2017, Chain yep. to the Rhythm. Uh, his grandson right now has a hit. And I wonder if Bob, because chasing commercial hits never really seemed to be that important to him at all. No. But I still wonder if he had lived, if there would have been just some fluke, huge pop banger that would have just happened. Like, like no, 1987, randomly Bob Marley gets a number one hit. Like, right. It could have happened. I mean, we'll never know, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's weird. Yeah. I think it would be really cool, and I don't know where it's going to go, but if... If his grandson, YG, if his song goes to, even goes top 10. Got a lot of momentum behind it. I would, I would love to see that because there's a, a, a kid who not only is Bob Marley's grandson, but his mother is Lauren Hill, um, right. who was married to Rohan Marley, Bob's I don't, son. I don't think they were ever, were they married? You know what? That's good I don't think no, they, they don't got actually married. got married. They have like yeah. six kids. But yeah. Let's play a little bit. So this is, so YG is, like you said, Lauren Hill's son and Rohan Marley. And uh, his song, Praise Ja in the Moonlight, is like flying up the charts right now. And it's not, it's not a modernized take on reggae. It's not dance hall. It's, there's no rappers. It's a reggae song. Yeah, let's hear a little bit of it. And I, I think this is a brilliant move um, for them to produce the song this way. But let's take a listen. We can praise Ja in the moonlight. Baby, if you with me, better do right. It's such a, it's like such a mellow vibe. The, it's the so cool. Brilliance of that is one, the timing of it, and they clearly, clearly knew when the movie was going to come out. So they dropped the the song at like I think two weeks before the movie came out. So there was a lot of momentum. But that song is, it's a straight lift. I won't even say sample um, of a song on the Kaya album, Bob Marley called Crisis. Definitely a deep cut. Most people probably don't know it, and so it lands as something completely fresh right now. That song has always been one of my favorites. Just it is you're right about that beat. It's um it's a very unique sound uh from Bob and I, I love it that they that they And I love that it's that. connecting because it's not just that like over oh, radio's playing it because you would think, well, maybe that's just a tie into the movie, like whatever they're promoting right. it. It's it's gone viral on TikTok, its streaming numbers are huge. Like this is young people discovering it yeah. being like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, young people are, because of YG's song, they're discovering it, but even, like you said, Skip Marley. Damien Jr. Gong, Welcome to Jamrock. Yes. In the 2000s. Every oh, generation, yeah. there's another Marley. Yeah. Like, it's such a dynasty, and I can't think of anything in music like that. Like, you had Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. and Hank the Third. Right. You know, and 
there there are like parents and children, but to have parents and multiple children and then multiple, multiple grandchildren, grandchildren, and now we're hitting the point that grandchildren in their twenties, there could be great grandchildren oh, yeah. in the next few years, which is oh, there definitely will be. really makes my head hurt. <laughs> um, but so looking at like the the influence of Bob, also in the late seventies while he was still alive, because he recorded a lot in London. And people in London loved Bob Marley and they loved reggae. And they went back before reggae, back to ska. And I think a lot of people think yeah. of ska in this country as British white people music, mostly. Um, because in the late 70s, you had uh, the specials, Madness, the English Beat, who are just called the Beat in England. Right. Um, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, you know, that, then that, was, that was called second wave ska. Right. And then in the 90s, there was third wave ska where you had Fishbone and Real Big Fish and Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and No Doubt. You're right. Who would kind of return the favor and provided some uh, reggae artists, rappers, yeah. Lady uh, Lady Saw. I almost said Lady Gaga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lady Saw and Bounty Killer yeah. got big hits because of No Doubt. They actually went and they recorded that album in Jamaica. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. called it Rocksteady. Like, there's right. You know what you're doing there. Um, it's it's also interesting that after Bob died, like we said, that you had the police were kind of the standard bearers of reggae, which was sort of weird. But then it it, it faded a bit in the '80s, and then it got really gentrified. Yes. Mostly because of <laughs> UB40. There it is. Yeah. We had to mention <laughs> We were waiting them. for them to be mentioned. We had to mention them. And I, by the not way, not all I, white. It's a multiracial group. Exactly. Multiracial group. It's just because the front man is a white guy that a lot the of people. The whitest think, guy. Yes. Very. Like translucent white. Like, <laughs> and that's me saying that. And I'm pretty translucent. But I will say UB40 had respect in Jamaica. And, and as much as I agree with you that it comes across like a, um, you know, a white group that's trying to do. Jamaican music, they had respect in Jamaica. I remember being at parties in Jamaica and my family putting on uh, Rat in the Kitchen. You know that one? <laughs> There's a rat in the kitchen, what am I going to do? There's a rat in the kitchen, what am I going to do? Anyway. <laughs> but of we course, they're, they're much better known yes, for, for this song. Which I kind of love, because I love people crossing genres, that it's a multiracial, mostly white group from London doing a reggae cover of a Neil Diamond song. Of a Neil Diamond song, right? It took that to number one. Dude, I don't know how old I was when I found out that that was a Neil Diamond song. I just yeah. always thought it was just a, a reggae yeah, song. A classic reggae songwriter, Neil Diamond. Right. Um, <laughs> and UB40 had a, a pretty solid run of hits. And I want to get to, oddly, and I don't know why this is, 1993, well over a decade after Bob had died, and UB40 had kind of been the only reggae game in town. Right. Reggae dominated the charts in 93. And when I first said this, you rolled your eyes at me because I know... You knew who I was thinking of. The white Canadian rapper, Snow. Let's talk about it. Informer. <laughs> seven weeks at number one. Blocked Dr. Dre's Nothing seven But a G-Thank and going to number one. Seven yep. weeks? Yep. Canadian. Uh, so, so reggae had kind of morphed at this point into dance hall was an offshoot, which had right. a lot more electronic and modern production, more of like a hip hop kind of production to it. And of course, because we're America, the first people that are going to break through are going to be white people. A Canadian dude. Figures. <laughs> and also, oddly, before the end of this conversation, he is not the only Canadian reggae artist to hit number one in this country. Really? It's happened twice. So yeah, so 93, Snow's Informer, UB40's cover of uh, Can't Help Falling in Love was number one for seven weeks. Okay. Even, I'm going to say it, and you're going to roll your eyes again, Ace of Bass, All That She Wants, The Sign. There is a heavy uh, reggae influence on this. I song. never thought like, very clearly, that, but yes. Yeah. It is Swedish techno pop reggae <laughs> it was getting these weird permutations but also so you think that you kind of roll your eyes but also actual jamaican artists had okay. lots of hits uh so i'm gonna play the song Praise ja. 
the song, it was a theme song <laughs> to a TV show. It was a top 10 hit. So this was uh, Bad Boys by Inner Circle. Oh, this, yeah. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. So you got that. Also, they had another hit. People think they were one-hit wonders, but no. Sweat, a la 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 long. Oh, yeah. That song was a huge hit. Also that year, Flex by Mad Cobra. Uh, Slow and Sexy by Shabba Ranks. Supercat's debut album came out. Dolly, My Baby was on that. Shaka Dimas and Pliers. Murder, She Wrote was a hit that year. Buju Banton had his first American release. Uh, Shaggy's first song, Oh Carolina, came that year. Yep. And of course, two years later, Boombastic was a huge hit. And then he would hit number one with There Wasn't Me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to do that voice. Uh, Patra, 94, 95. Ine Kamosi's Here Comes the Hot Stepper. Uh, Diana King, Shy Guy, Michelle by Andrew Donalds. A lot of Jamaican yeah. dance hall and reggae artists were huge. That, in that was period. definitely, at that point, it caught on. And it was, yeah, you had actual Jamaican artists, uh, people of color <laughs> recording. <laughs> I know, music, it wasn't just like getting from hits in with it. It was, I, 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 you know, the cops theme, I think that did a lot for it, it sort of because that show was. So everybody watched it, and it was a demographic that watched that show that might not necessarily be checking for reggae. Correct. Going to make some assumptions there. Yeah, but... I, <laughs> I know the assumption you're making. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think that definitely helped a lot. And then you're right, the dance hall thing was was so hot back then. Like, yeah. Any club you went into, that's what they were playing. Like, as we go to clubs now, and you hear EDM. That's what you were hearing in clubs. Oh, it was. Yeah. It's so. Yeah, I want to move. So as you get into the 21st century, you still have Shaggy had his. Even for his two back-to-back number one hits with It Wasn't Me and Angel, there's an almost novelty quality to those songs. Right. Like, It Wasn't Me, like, it's kind of jokey. <laughs> but by the, like, 2002, 3, 4, Dancehall really came into its own and got really huge. And I want to play something. That, so do you know, and this, I, I swore when we started this high, I'm not going to do any Jamaican accents. I'm not going to try it. <laughs> but I have to use uh, the actual word here. Uh, so rhythms. Mm-hmm. R-I-D-D-I-M. The rhythm. The rhythm. The rhythm. Uh, so it's rhythm on blues, hall. man. Rhythm yeah. on blues. Yeah, it's just patois <laughs> for rhythm. Right. Uh, but so they were called rhythms, and they would get names. A producer would make this beat, and he'd release it, and m- multiple artists would would jump on would it. Would jump on yeah. their own version. So the most famous of these is called the Diwali rhythm. So check out. This is just like a little mashup of four songs from the early two thousands, and it's all the, all same, the beat, same beat. But these are all huge classic hits. So that's, that's all those hot. songs are that. So that's, that's that is Sean Paul's Get Busy. Sean Paul would become a huge star. Multiple oh, yeah. number one hits in, just in this country. Uh, no Letting Go by Wayne Wonder there. Never uh, never Leave You Uh-Oh by Lumity. Mm. And uh, some girl named Rihanna had a song called yeah, Ponder Replay. Yeah. Whatever happened to her. I hope she makes it. Yeah, yeah. that was her first song. I don't know. <laughs> but so it's, it, was, it was taking all these different elements. And because I think a lot of people who aren't fans of reggae think of it as this one thing. It right. sounds a certain way. It sounds like Bob Marley or, or UB40. Uh, and it's, it, it can change so much. It's evolved. Yeah. When you think from like 60s ska and rocksteady to reggae and then dancehall and then reggaeton in Latin America kind of took elements of it. It's, it's fascinating how it's endured and evolved yeah. through 60 years at this point. Yeah. And, and I will say that there are so many artists who are, I hope, hope to God, bubble up uh, on the American charts that I, you hear everywhere in Jamaica. There's a guy named, um, although... Protégé had, Protégé did have a song that, it didn't chart, yeah. but I, I heard it getting some play. 
uh, a few years ago, but Protégé is an incredible artist. Um, and even Buja uh, Bantan has had, no, he hasn't had it. I don't think he's charted. No, no big hits, but yeah. like his albums would do all right. Yeah. Uh, and you had Beanie Man and mm-hmm. a lot of artists had a lot of hits and, and showed like there's a lot of diversity. And that's the funny thing. Like I said, when you think of reggae, you automatically think of Bob Marley. Like, I think for most people, even reggae fans, he is the right. the godfather of the whole genre. But there's so many other artists that are so huge. Yeah. And they all owe a huge debt to him. And I think they would all say that. Um, I, I got to say one thing about um, about Bob that that really came clear to me in watching the movie, um, because a lot of the movie focuses on the the production of the Exodus album. And I looked at, and I don't know why I'd, I never realized this before, the B side of the Exodus album. And normally the way people produce albums is that the A side is your your big hits, B side are the other ones. This B side might be the greatest B side in the history of any record. Uh, Jammin', Waiting in Vain, Turn Your Lights Down Low, Three Little Birds, and One Love People Get Ready. I mean, that's a that's a greatest hits album. That's Murderer's Row there. You can't And actually, can't all those songs that. are on his greatest hits album. All so, but one is on the legend Which one's album. not? No. Turn Your Lights Down oh, Low, yeah, yeah, yeah. which should be, but yeah. um, I, you know why they didn't put Turn Your Lights Down Low on there? Because they put Is This Love on the legend album, and that, oh. they're both love songs, right. and they went for, I think, the bigger love song, and Right. And yeah. funny, Turn Your Lights Down Low is when they did a remix of it in the late 90s, Lauryn Hill did it featuring Bob. And that was yeah. one of, it, it fell, it was just under the Hot 100. It's one of his few charting songs, right. period. <laughs> and I, not even one of his biggest hits. Which is why, it, but Lauryn Hill and everyone in the Fugees always said how much of an influence Bob Marley was. And that's why he contributed to her. She contributed to him because she, she produced a lot of his grandchildren. Yeah. I, I hate, <laughs> I hate that, uh, that things didn't work out between Lauren and Rohan because. That was like, it meant, it just made, when they got together, it was like, that makes sense. Right. She's completely influenced by his father's music. And, and that's one anyway. of those things we were talking about, like if he had lived, like what we never got to see, you know, absolutely they would have done something together. Oh, 100%. And it would have been so good. Even there's an album that they've done with, um, that where they do sort of like duets. Yeah, they did like a sort of remix a, a remix of, songs. Of, of his songs. And that's, that's where the Lauryn Hill song for Turn Your Lights Down Low came from. Yeah. Yeah, and they were all because he still sounds modern and vibrant and important, and he is. Yeah, he and really always is. will be. And now, like I said, so Legend has been on the charts every week for years and years and years at this point. I think it's close to sixteen years cumulative that it's been charting, and now it's going back in the top twenty this week because of the movie. Yeah, and so you do have this whole, and a lot of it's driven by streaming, so it is younger people. So you have a whole new generation discovering what the hype is about. I was everybody knows his name. They really, yeah, absolutely. Now like, they know the oh, name, and now their songs are there. I was uh, at a friend's house, and her grandson was playing something, and I and I heard a Bob song come up. It was like a sample. I think it might have actually been the YG song, and I was like, "Hey, do you know who this is? Yeah, this is Bob Marley's song." And I was like, "Yes, yes." <laughs> Passing on. I believe the generation. children are our future. Teach them well and let <laughs> them lead on the way. To another generation. So, you know, even though the 21st century so far has been really good to actual Jamaican artists having reggae hits, we were not done with Canadian reggae artists <laughs> topping the charts. In 2014, do you remember the song Rude by Magic? Do I forget the song? I mean, <laughs> how could I forget Try the song? to forget the song, but you cannot. And by the way, that was 2014 that came out? That was 10 years ago. Six weeks, that was number one. Wow. So, yeah, you know, it's the, the most people with, you know, number one reggae hits, Jamaicans and Canadians. <laughs> It makes complete sense. Okay. There, there are a lot of Jamaican immigrants 
in Canada, so they clearly influenced people. Oh, like, influenced. I'm like, these were not Jamaican immigrants. No, but no, no. <laughs> but I, I think those kids growing up around Jamaican immigrants clearly influenced them. I mean, that's Drake's whole thing. Yeah, and that's and, what Snow said in Informer. Pure brown people is all a man know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, it's one thing to talk about Informer. <laughs> It's one thing to talk about, Snow, but to quote him, now you've gone too far. I've gone too far. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Before we wrap up, I have one really important question to ask you, uh, Eric, about reggae on the charts. Okay. Did Electric Slide ever chart? Yeah, it was not a big hit. Yeah. Yeah, it peaked. uh, It doesn't matter. No matter how many times you play it at a wedding, it doesn't get it on the charts. No, it it never (laughs) made the top 40. But this is one of those things where had the charts worked then like they do now, if you had TikTok and streams. Right. Easy top ten, if not number one. Right. I mean, if the Har- if if Harlem Shake could go to number one, and it <laughs> the did, the electric slide, the electric slide would have definitely and Lombada. Those two songs would have been such huge hits <laughs> if that's how things had worked back then. Absolutely. Well, uh, we will. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We should say praise to Ja. Yeah, give us a little bit of the accent, Charles. <laughs> Come on. I'm not going to do it, but you need to do All it. All praise is due to Ja Rastafari. So you got it. When I say Ja, you say. Rastafari. I I don't don't want to. (laughs) I think it's better if I don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, That's going to do it for uh, Get to the Hook. We'll see you guys next time.